This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Well, it's been a few months since you heard from us, and we're back this week and next with some special episodes brought to you by the Northern Pulse Growers Association. This is going to serve as sort of a countdown to the NPGA annual convention, which is happening this month virtually, January 19th, 20th, and 21st. Head over to northernpulse.com to register for that event. These special episodes were recorded at the NPGA Montana Pulse Day virtual event back in November. There was some fantastic information shared, and I'm glad we can help bring some of that to you here. Starting with today's episode, which is actually how the event kicked off as well. USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council CEO Tim McGreevy gave a presentation on domestic and international pulse markets, then opened the floor for some Q&A moderated by NPGA President Chris Westergaard. That Q&A session was so insightful, we wanted to share it with you here today. So here's Chris Westergaard facilitating a question and answer session with Tim McGreevy. Well, we do got a question for you, Tim. Yeah. Are we seeing more purchases from China and pulses like we are with corn? Uh, yes, we certainly are seeing more purchases. In fact, I show that a chart for China and we were down to a low of shipping them. You know, we were shipping them 60 to 80,000 metric tons a year. And we dropped the 13,000 metric tons and you saw where the Canadians were. They actually increased exports to China by over a million metric tons. So we have seen more shipments. Uh, we've gone from early in the marketing year with the latest data, we've shipped uh, nearly 30,000 metric tons. So you know we've doubled our sales there. They are offering a waiver, the phase one agreement does offer the Chinese government opportunity to have a waiver. Uh, on those uh, shipments. Uh, we certainly haven't seen the big sales like they've seen in Canada, but we are better than last year and still making progress. Do you suppose the, I don't know how much you keep up with, uh, you know, China and Canada, but they're not getting along very well. Do you think that's going to give us an opportunity? Well, um, you know, they, they've had some some trade issues for sure, but in terms of pulses, Canada has really uh, benefited from us having a 25% tariff or essentially a 32% tariff on all peas. And also lentils, there's a lot of lentils going into China as well, not to the volumes of peas. Uh, And we're seeing some sales of of lentils into China as well, certainly better than it was a year ago over the last two years. You know, when you you have a 25% tariff on corn and soybeans, you know, we saw where did China go? You know, they they went obviously to Brazil and picked up some sales of soybeans and, and corn down there, but they also bought a lot of peas out of Canada. I mean, a million metric tons in a year, <laughs> that's a huge increase. And so basically it, it didn't quite replace India because India, of course, you know, we were shipping between 1.8 million metric tons between Canada and ourselves. And that dropped to not very much. Uh, did rebound a little bit here. You know, they, we shipped in 600,000 metric tons. Uh, and in the U.S., uh, we're not getting very much of that, you know, again, in the 10 to 15,000 metric ton range, because we have an extra 20% tariff on top of what they're facing, especially for lentils. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, all the trade tariffs have really benefited our Canadian friends. Kind of along that uh, tariff line, one of the questions is, what do you think the long-term tariff situation is going to be with India? And is there a chance for resolution in our favor? Well, uh, the Trump administration was negotiating, uh, trying to get a free trade agreement with India. 
you know, I think long term, it's going to be kind of a tough slog uh, with the current political situation in India. They are trying to protect their farmers. And uh, in doing so, they're offering them minimum support price levels. And they're absolutely, you know, blocking any imports uh, to make sure that the prices for their farmers uh, stay high. What the wild card is, is, you know, they have 1.2 billion people. And, you know, if they have a, a poor harvest or bad weather, uh, which is certainly they're prone to, just like we all are, it could be pretty serious and they could tremendously spike prices. And so what we've seen is their pigeon pea crop, this is in regard to lentils primarily, but their pigeon pea crop was uh, not so great uh, last spring or March, April. And uh, they started buying lentils in a pretty big way starting in June, and they're still buying them. And so their next harvest, they had a harvest in September, October. Their pigeon pea harvest it begins here in uh, November and December, and there's a lot of heavy rains. And so a lot of that crop is going to be reduced. And so that's why we see China really heavily in the market, especially for green lentil, which has been you know a benefit here. We do face in the U.S. a 20% premium on those lentil tariffs compared to the Canadians. And so that is a huge disadvantage for us as a crop, but we're still seeing some sales go in there and, and it's helped the market. Okay, thanks, Tim. The next one is, what do you think of the pricing possibilities for red lentils moving forward? Well, red lentils actually have certainly moved up in price. You know, the Canadians are the largest uh, red lentil exporters in the world, frankly. And when India decided to drop their tariff to 10% from 33%, and remember in the US, we face a 55% tariff from India. And when they dropped it down to 10%, but they still left the US tariff at 33%, they dropped it for us, uh, you know, 20%, just like they did the world. But that really spurred, Chris, that really spurred a lot of sales into India in, in a really big way. So they're shipping red lentils and green lentils to cover the pigeon pea crop. Thanks, Tim. I'll editorialize a little bit on the back end of that question. They always say that the red lentil market is the biggest segment in the world market for lentils. It seems like green lentil production in the States is you know, getting bigger still. Do you think there's any substitution of the greens for reds or are we just growing the green market? Well, we, you know, we don't produce that many, you know, red lentils here in the United States. You know, it's less than 20% of our production for sure. My message to growers is it's always good to have a diverse portfolio. You know, you want to have some medium-sized green lentils. We want to have red lentils. We want to have small green lentils, which are a big market in many areas of the world. And we are 74% of our production is medium-sized green lentils, richly type and Avondale type lentils. And nothing wrong with that. You know, they have their demand pocket, but red lentils for sure are the highest consumed lentil in the world, especially in the Indian subcontinent and the Middle East. They're not always the highest priced. Uh, sometimes they're at a discount, which is why the U.S. has, you know, remained historically kind of a green lentil supplier. But, you know, I, I would certainly encourage growers to take a look. Uh, you do have to worry about agronomics a little bit. You know, if you mix up uh, red lentil on green lentil ground and there's volunteers because the processors certainly don't want mixed varieties. So you have to be careful 
how you do your cropping rotations, but certainly there's some opportunities to have different types of lentils to hit different markets at, at different times. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Uh, so I guess the last question we've got lined up so far, we've seen a lot of pulse innovations in domestically in our own market and snacks and pastas and, you know, meat substitutes, that. And that sort of things. Is there any other emerging food sectors for pulses or pulse proteins or starches or anything else like that on the horizon? You know, we just uh, completed in Latin America a pulse ingredient seminar that Raul Caballero, our representative in Mexico, and Jeff Rumney, our, our vice president of marketing, put together. And it had over 200 people in attendance. And so the food innovation that's happening in the pulse space right now is just absolutely off the charts still. And of course, the meat analogs, uh, you know, the meat alternatives are certainly getting a lot of press uh, justifiably. I mean, they're growing, you know, at this year, right, during the pandemic, they're growing at 11% a year. Now, that, that's still a very small part of the overall meat consumption market. But people are currently, no question about it, the trend is toward to include more plant-based foods in the diet. So meat alternatives, dairy alternatives, now we're seeing uh, yogurts coming out in the dairy alt space that are starting to pick up speed. And it's not only here in the United States, it's also worldwide. So there's a huge play right now trying to get alternative meat into China, which is, you know, there's another billion three people to feed. And if that takes off, which they are certainly looking at that taking off, that's a heavy meat eating country as well, but it could have a huge ramifications for demand for pulses going forward here in the next five years. Okay. So we've got another question. Well, two questions put together, I guess. Are we seeing pulses expand to areas where we haven't seen them before? Pulse production, that is, I think is what he's asking. Or we continue to be the pulse basket of the world. I would assume he means us and probably the Canadians too. I think the we all know, right, that, that pulse production is certainly possible. We're seeing growing acreage here in the Great Plains area of Nebraska and uh, Colorado, uh, Kansas. We're seeing uh, a lot more, you know, peas being grown in Minnesota now and Illinois. They're starting to expand their reach because we know that they can be grown. So here in the U.S., we have not even come close to tapping our potential in terms of acreage across this country of, of really, you know, having some big acreages, way bigger than the Canadian uh, acreages, you know, at their uh, 10 million acres versus our 3 million acres right now. So we know that there's a lot of potential here. Uh, but we've seen probably the biggest rise, uh, I believe, in pulse production in terms of our, our competitors has been in the Baltic states, in Ukraine, and in Russia. And uh, I showed you a little sample there of what, what they've done in for dry peas. They've increased their acreage considerably. In Russia in particular, Russia had a big decline in acreage over the past year because, of course, prices sucked. And so their, their farmers, like you know some of ours, said, well, man, I'm not going to do this for nothing. And so they really reduced their acreage. But the potential is there. And they're big competitors of low quality, really cheap thresher-run product uh, going into the Indian subcontinent and in some countries in the Middle East. Those have been kind of the big shifts is these uh, Russian and Baltic states really coming into the market in a big way, which is having influence on our markets. Hope you enjoyed that Q&A with Tim McGreevy. His presentation included some video clips with Pulse Market information. Those are publicly available on the Dry Pea and Lentil Council YouTube channel. 
We have a link for that in our show notes, which can probably be found on the platform you're listening to this show, or you can go to www.growingpulsecrops.com and find the show notes for this episode there. We have a few more special episodes like this from the event releasing this week and next. Don't forget, though, to register for the Northern Pulse Growers Association annual convention happening this month, January 19th through the 21st. You can get all the information and register over at northernpulse.com. We'll see you there.